Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 10. Matt and I are recording very late at night so we could get this out to everybody by Thursday morning. Uh, really, we're recording this because we stayed up late to watch the Warriors game and then um, I just felt like staying up. So it's like almost 2 a.m. our time, but that's how committed we are to doing this podcast for a few hundred people. The first game on the slate... Very exciting game. Double revenge game. New York Jets at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's actually a triple revenge game if we count uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins also because we have Josh McCown revenge game against the Buccaneers. Ryan Fitzpatrick super revenge game against the Jets. Uh, I don't care about any of this. But with, with that said, I do think there is some fantasy upside to this game. Uh, what is the Vegas info for this one, Matt? Okay, the big revenge game of the week. Yeah, I think we need to just use all the players on both teams because <laughs> revenge equals a lot of points. I think that that's probably how it works. So A lot of vengeance. Lots we, of vengeance. We actually are seeing a lot of people betting on the over. Maybe they are thinking along those lines. Maybe that's not at all the reason, but I'm not sure. So the over-under for the game opened at 41. It's now up to 43 with heavy public support. And the Jets moved from Pickham to minus 2.5. So what's interesting about the line movement is that you'd expect that with Mike Evans out, the Jets would go from whatever the line was to a more favorable line to combat Mike Evans being suspended, which I guess wasn't at all factored into the opening line. But you'd also expect to see a simultaneous drop to the total because with Mike Evans out, there's less potential for points for Tampa Bay. That's exactly why the Jets are now favored by two and a half instead of, uh, instead of zero. So the, the over-under going up despite Mike Evans not playing, I think that that's some indication of sharp action. And I think it's because these defenses are just bad, especially the Tampa Bay defense. But there are really cheap prices on the Buccaneers' offensive players now. So even without Mike Evans with reduced expected output, I still think it's really viable to use most of the players in the Tampa Bay offense, and then maybe a little bit from the Jets too. They are kind of more expensive and figuring out targets for the Jets might be a little more difficult. Um, and I do think they're definitely going to be higher owned too. So there is some interest here for the Tampa side. Yeah, I agree. The Tampa Bay defense is really bad, especially against the pass. They're 31st in DVOA. Just the issue I have is that Josh McCown isn't particularly good. And then neither really are any of his receivers. I do think McCown to Safer makes some sense, not because of the double revenge there, just because I think that they have an easy matchup, and that's what makes the most sense to see volume. And then from the Tampa Bay side of the game, like you said, Mike Evans is suspended for this game. Oh, and then also Jameis Winston's out. So we have Ryan Fitzpatrick starting a quarterback. And then it's where the target's going to go. The cheap guys that make sense is we have Adam Humphreys is at 3,100. His role doesn't change in terms of how much he's going to play most likely or where he's going to play out of the slot. But the difference is is that with Mike Evans out, there's some more targets to go around. So it stands to reason that Humphreys could see a couple more targets. He already is a piece of their offense. And then the other player who I think makes sense is Chris Godwin is all the way um, – yeah, min price, 3000 He's starting in place of Evans. So he just doesn't have to do a lot to get to value with 3000 if he gets like five catches for 50 yards, then you're good to go. That's a solid game. So I think he makes sense as a, as a value play. Uh, in terms of which one I prefer, I'm going to say Humphreys. Matt was saying this before, that we do know that Humphreys gets targets already. He's already a part of their offense. 
So I think he makes a little bit more sense, but I wouldn't say that Godwin's totally out of play either. Yeah, I think that I'm going to go with whoever it seems like will have lower ownership. They're, I'm going to say neither one. I don't think either one of them are going to be owned. Yeah, that that probably is true. And if, if that is the indication, or if they're both going to have decent ownership and it's just a similar amount, uh, then I do prefer Humphreys. I think he's more reliable of a producer. But there is some upside in Godwin. That's just a really cheap price for a starting receiver against a bad defense. The Jets, um, they sort of shut down the Bills in their last game. They gave up some garbage time points, but they especially held LaShawn McCoy in check. I think he only had 25 rushing yards. But the Jets are still 22nd in DVOA overall. They're 21st against the pass. So it's not like this is a good defense. I think it's definitely a plus matchup for Tampa. They're at home, and we'll get to this for sure, that there are actually a lot of bad weather games this week because we're now in the middle of November, and it's just cold in a lot of places. But with this game in Tampa Bay, the conditions are a lot better. Um, So I think it's... It's definitely going to be a low-owned spot for the Buccaneers, especially Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, but it is a good matchup for sure. So the other guy to mention, I guess, well, Deshaun Jackson, I don't think there's much of a boost for him. Um, he's priced about the same as always, and he he's reasonably targeted most weeks anyway. So maybe you can bump him up slightly for this matchup. Um, I think he's usable, but nothing special. I'd rather go cheap with the receivers and then Cameron Brait, but... Maybe the most interesting guy from Tampa Bay is Doug Martin, who's only at 4,700. And I don't know how much of him I'll have yet because there are a bunch of running backs that we like this week. But Martin will definitely be low-owned after 0.7 fantasy points last week. He ended up not really getting any carries in the second half because they were down four touchdowns to the Saints on the road. Uh, Peyton Barber took a lot of the carries in the second half. But I don't think there was anything more than just it was a blowout and Martin didn't play because they were down so much. Um, So that's a really cheap price for a running back that gets most of his team's volume against a bad defense. And I think that if he fits into lineups well compared to the other running backs that we're using, um, I think I'll probably have a good amount of exposure to him. All right. So the next game on the slate. Oh, also, I brought up something really exciting that I'm going to bring up for later. So strap in. Get your seatbelt buckled because you're going to fly off your couches or Wherever. I don't know where people listen to from. <laughs> well, before you get there, do you do you think um, Doug Martin is usable? Is that someone you're going with, or do you think it's just the Tampa passing game? No, I mean, it, it's whatever to me. I think there's better running back spots, but I don't think it's like a terrible play. All right, fair. Well, well, I guess we'll get to them, and we'll try to figure out which running back spots are better. And I also have no idea what you're talking about with this whatever. No, I just, I just teased it for no reason, whatever. <laughs> it's related to it. the weather. It's related oh, okay. to the weather. So next game, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, the Steelers should handily win this game, and they are all ridiculously expensive. How many points are they favored by, Matt? The line for the game is minus 11. I think it actually could be too low because there's some potential Colts bias after they just went into Houston and won. Um, I'm going to say it's a fair line, though. That probably isn't much of a bias. Uh, Pro-Colts bias against the Steelers, if it exists at all, is probably a small one. Uh, so the public is definitely on the Pittsburgh side to some significant degree. It's going to be hard to use them because of what they cost. And if you play on sites that aren't DraftKings, maybe Le'Veon Bell is cheaper. I'm pretty sure he's lower priced um, in some of the Everywhere. places. Yeah, I think his DraftKings price is a lot higher than what it is on any other site. But for DraftKings, Le'Veon Bell at 9800 is just a crazy price. I think that there is some potential value there just because it's such an easy matchup and Bell is the best running back in football. He's going to have a ton of volume. 
maybe for cash lineups, he's just really safe there. I think it's it's almost a guarantee that if he doesn't get injured, he's going to be in the 25 to 30 point range. But you also need a touchdown or two to get there. So maybe it's not quite that much of a guarantee because, you know, it's football and anyone can end up scoring and things are random. We have a not round ball that I'll mention again because I think it's really important to realize that the ball is not round and we don't, we don't talk about it enough. Uh, but the whole Steelers offense, like you said, is really expensive, except for Smith-Schuster, who is only in the mid-5,000s. So he's potentially viable compared to Antonio Brown, who's 9,500. So I think zero exposure to Brown, maybe Le'Veon Bell for cash games, and then Smith-Schuster, I think, is a decent play. Really strong callback, too. I think what was the Week 2 podcast of the foul, of foul balls. I don't, I don't know if that's totally true, but I remember one of the big takeaways was that football doesn't have a round ball. I think and that was actually our first podcast where I mentioned that, and now we're in the second half of the season, so got to mention it again. Okay. No, that's that's fair because that's a good way to introduce football to people and get them to know, like, hey, just so you guys know, the ball isn't round. Therefore, Le'Veon Bell might not score a touchdown in Week 10. <laughs> so from the Colts side of the game, Boy, they got a lot more expensive. T.Y. Hilton's all the way up to 5,900. Doyle's at 5,200. I don't really have a lot of interest in them. I mean, they should be playing from behind and throwing the ball, but either way, I would much prefer to use Smith-Schuster at 5,600 than T.Y. Hilton at 5,900. Do you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I'm going to be definitely off T.Y. Hilton this week. He was my favorite player last week, but his ownership also should be substantial because he's coming off such a monster game. I think he had 36, 37 fantasy points. So you're not I will, getting... I would, but I, he's going to be higher on last week than he was this week. He was like, what was he, 37% on last week? He was in the 30s, but there's no way you're getting him at 2 or 3% owned this week. I think he'll still be double digits just because he's coming off such a big game and some people will expect that trend to continue so it's not like you're making a really contrarian pick here. I still think Hilton will be one of the 15 or 20 highest owned receivers this week. And I think it's too expensive it's too expensive for him anyway in this tough of a matchup. So it's probably just Smith-Schuster and then maybe the Steelers' defense here. Um, I think there are better defense spots, but they are, they're not that expensive. They're at 3,700, which is actually only the fourth most. I think there's some consideration there. If you're going with Le'Veon Bell, probably makes sense to use the Steelers' defense too. Do you have interest there, or do you think there are cheaper ones that are probably better spots? I think, well, you say that they're the fourth most expensive, which, yeah, except it's not like it's not like there's a big gap. So, oh, And actually, it's only the third, because I was looking at the Thursday to Monday slate, so the Seahawks don't count. Yeah, it's, yeah we it, don't care about that on the Foul Balls podcast, Matthew. I'm going to so change have, over to the Sunday. They're, they're the third most. They're the third most expensive, except the most expensive is 3,900. So it, it's not like there's some big discount there. I think that I, I think there's better defense spots. So I probably won't use them. Uh, and then Bell just yeah, he makes sense. That there's enough salary to pay up for, but I don't like see value in that price tag. You need almost 30 fantasy points from to hit value, which is that's a tall order. So the next game we have the Bengals at the Titans. Marcus Mariota has been pretty disappointing this year. Uh, what is the over-under for this game, Matt? Okay, the, the over-under is at 40.5. It hasn't moved much. There's a bit of sharp action on the Bengals, but I think it's entirely due to A.J. Green potentially getting suspended and then getting ruled active. He won't be suspended. So the, the Titans open at minus 4. They moved up to, I think it was minus 5.5, and, and then when A.J. Green was announced... 
Um, when it was announced that he would be playing, the, the line dropped back down to only four and a half. It moved a point back towards the Bengals. Uh, the Titans just, yeah, they're really not a good team. They really haven't been good on either side of the ball. I think the best component of their team this year has been their running game. And I guess that's partially due to Mariota. I think they were in the top five in run DVOA last I checked, but I'm pulling that up again. Um, they're at sixth now, but they only have the 21st ranked passing offense. So there's one guy here, Corey Davis, who I'll let you talk about that probably is a good value, but I don't have much interest in the Titans other than him. But I do think it's a good spot for Andy Dalton, AJ Green, who probably will be really low owned because of what the Vegas info looks like. It's a low total and the Bengals are underdogs. Dalton hasn't been particularly good this year, but it's a good matchup. And I think you can get a really contrarian pick there for much cheaper prices than what Dalton and Green usually are. Yeah, the Titans uh, defense, 22nd in DVOA, also 22nd against the pass. And then on the Bengals' side of the game, they're 14th in defensive DVOA and 17th against the pass. But they've really been trending downwards. They were like a top five defense for, I'm trying to think, like I think maybe up to like week six or so, or week seven maybe. And they've just been really bad the last couple weeks, which have brought them down a lot. So it stands to reason that they're going to drop farther from this. So that just might not be a very good defense. But like we said... Marcus Mariota also hasn't been playing well, so I'm not going crazy with Titans or anything like that. But Corey Davis, uh, I think he's a talented player. He's also been getting more reps lately. And then uh, today at uh, was it like press conference or practice or whatever, the Titans said that their plan is to get him more involved. They're expecting more targets for him, more snaps. So I think Corey Davis all the way at 4,000, all the way down at 4,000 against what's a not great defense that also appears to be on the downslide. I think that Corey Davis makes sense as just a plug-in player for lineups. Yeah, and then if you are going with Dalton and A.J. Green, you're building some correlation there where the passing games are... There's usually some added upside of going with both passing games in the same game if it turns into a shootout, which would be a pretty unexpected result by most people with the total for this game being so low. But I do think that the over-under should be higher. These defenses are kind of overvalued. Well, I guess it's... It's probably just for the Bengals' side where the defense is overvalued, and then I think the Bengals' offense is also undervalued. Um, so the Bengals should, going forward, probably be a higher-scoring team on both sides than people expect, and that should make the game have more more offensive potential. So I think the combination of Dalton Green with Corey Davis is probably something I'm going to do a bunch of this week. Okay, so here we've got the weather, because the next game Very is... Exciting. The New Orleans Saints at the Buffalo Bills. So before we get into this, because we were speculating on why the total has dropped for this game, and we thought it could be the weather. So the temperature for the game is exp- – where did my weather report go? Let me, uh, before you – while you look for that, I'll just mention what the betting where information are my is. <laughs> I'll, I'll mention the uh, betting information while you're looking for that, assuming it takes only a little bit of time. Yeah, the uh, over-under has gone from 48 48- – 48, okay, well, I'll say it anyway. It's gone from 48.5 down to 46.5. Uh, the Saints have been 2.5-point favorites for the majority of the week, so no change there, but the over-under has dropped. Okay, so as we were starting, I don't know why this had popped up in my head, but I remembered there was an article I'd read a really long time ago about when temperatures actually start to affect the passing game. So for adjusted passing yards uh, per attempt by temperature, it really doesn't start to see a drop-off until temperatures get below 30 degrees. The expected temperature for this game is 42 degrees, 
So the weather really shouldn't have an impact on this game because the wind is supposed to be fine. The weather, in terms of precipitation, is supposed to be fine. It's just the temperature of 42. But based on this study by Advanced Football Analytics, we don't really expect that to have an impact on the passing game anyway. Well, I'll make one counter. And first, I think that there's some chance that there's flurries or light snow during the game. The weather reports have kind of been fluctuating, but it's not. It's a non-zero chance that there's some precipitation. But also six percent according to Rotowire. Six percent. Okay, non-zero. Six is more than zero. <laughs> uh, but I think that the weather drop might affect the Saints' offense more than it would affect most teams because they're used to playing in a dome. So it's already a downgrade going from a dome to an outdoor stadium for Drew Brees and the Saints passing game. And they rarely play in lower temperatures. So I guess we would need some historical data on how Drew Brees fares in these games. But I think that just from a logical standpoint, maybe that threshold is a little bit higher for teams that are used to warm weather because that 30 degree number is just an average and it certainly would affect some players more than other players. So even though I looked up and I said that it, it doesn't matter, that doesn't affect the passing game, I don't like either of these passing games <laughs> anyway. I think the Saints are a bit too expensive for this matchup. Drew Brees is 6900 Michael Thomas is 7000 They were kind of that same price at home in a plus matchup last week. So I don't really think it's a great spot for them. The spot that I do think makes a lot of sense for this game is LaShawn McCoy's prices dipped again. He's still kind of expensive, but at 8300 I think that's a good spot for him. And then as we had pointed out in previous weeks, uh, which worked really well with Doug Martin last week, <laughs> the Saints defense is good against the pass. They're actually really good against the pass. The Saints defense is now uh, uh, still fourth in DVO against the pass, but they're 28th in DVOA against the run. So it's a strong pass defense. It's a bad run defense. LaShawn McCoy is one of the more talented running backs in the league. I think there's very few running backs that are actually uh, that could affect their own performance outside of their offensive line. I think LaShawn McCoy is one of them. In this kind of a plus matchup, also at home, and then also chalky last week and kind of busted a little bit. Well, I he think had two and a half points to last play week. In this matchup. Yeah, he, uh, he didn't bust a little bit. He had 20-something yards last week, and he was the highest owned player on the Thursday to Monday slate. So I think a lot of people... He was 140% off. I I thought I saw 165, actually. but I think two weeks ago. Oh, sure. So I think a lot of people will be scared off of him that used him last week. And yeah, I think the reputation for the Saints defense now is that they're a good defense, which kind of is true overall, but they're much better against one element of the offense than they are against the other. So I like McCoy a lot. I like him more if we get more indication that the weather will be bad. The worse the weather gets, the more the Bills are going to be relying on the running game. And that obviously helps McCoy. And then I've been thinking about using McCoy with the Bills defense, but that also will be contingent on the weather. So if the temperature drops into the low 30s, then the Bills defense with McCoy, I think, becomes a pretty strong correlation play. Probably a very low-owned one, too. So I'll say that I'm considering the Bills defense for now, but I'll probably only end up using them if the weather's bad enough where it seems like the Saints will be really substantially affected by it. Okay, so the next game, this is another one that uh, we might have some bad weather here also. Green Bay Packers at the Chicago Bears. Uh, Obviously, Packers, bad offense with Brett Hundley at quarterback. Aaron Rodgers still not there. So what is the over-under for this game? Because I think we could have a good defense spot here. 
Well, I'll mention this before mentioning the Vegas info. The Packers are actually number one in the NFL in rush offense DVOA, which is very surprising. I just don't really understand how that's currently the case. But I guess the Bears will be stacking the box against them anyway. I, I would think that that efficiency probably was much higher when Rodgers was playing. Uh, it's just a weird, I don't know, it's a weird number. I don't know what's going on there. But anyway. The- well, I think part of it could be also they just don't run the ball a lot. And then when they do, they have been pretty effective. Like I remember Aaron Jones having a couple of like really crazy games, like like seven carries for like 94 yards. But that, that, I'm sure, was all when Aaron Rodgers was playing. So I guess there hasn't been enough of a drop-off with Brett Hundley at quarterback to move them down. I guess they've just run the ball well. I don't, I don't know. Because if that, if that were true, it would have stopped happening when Rodgers got hurt. So maybe yeah, they were just through. in the lead by enough where it hasn't been negatively affecting them. But I guess it would, it would be useful to look at the trends there. I'm not really sure if the running game has become less efficient week by week. Either way, though, it stands to reason that it would become a worse running offense going forward because of Brett Hundley and quarterback. Uh, but as for the Vegas info, the total for the game is only 38. Pretty low total, and the Bears are minus six-point favorites. So there's there's a lot of reason to like the Bears' defense. And then my favorite player from this game, who is one of my favorite players on the slate, is Jordan Howard at only 6,100. He cost 6,800 in his last matchup in New Orleans. And he was really good in that matchup. I think he rushed 23 times for 102 yards. And he got bumped down by $700. So I really don't know why that happened. And this is a game where game flow could definitely help him if the Bears are leading, which they should be. They're a better team than the Packers now, and they're at home. And then Howard with the Bears defense makes sense for a correlation play. So I think that that's going to be a route that I use a ton of. And like we mentioned with the Steelers, there are better defenses to use. And... I guess my pick for Bills on defense, one of the main reasons I probably won't end up using a lot of it is because the Bears defense with Jordan Howard is just such a strong play this week that uh, for pretty low prices, I think it makes sense to use a ton of that combination. Yeah, so Chicago Bears defense, only 3000 Jordan Howard's pretty reasonably priced. I think I think this is a good spot for that combo. I like it. Hunley hasn't been good. I also think being a young quarterback, probably a little mistake-prone, and six-and-a-half-point spread that figures he's going to have to be throwing the ball late in the game, which could mean potential turnovers. The Bears, slightly above-average defense this year. They are 13th in DVOA, 10th against the pass, 15th against the run. Good spot for them. I think it makes sense. Nothing else to really see in this game, I don't think. I guess the weather could become an issue there, too. It's supposed to be cold, and I guess it's something to monitor if maybe the temperature drops before below that threshold that you had mentioned around 30 degrees. But I think it's going to be in the 30s regardless. So uh, if it gets any colder, that's just even more of a boost to Howard and the Bears defense. Yeah, currently I'm seeing it's expected to be 40 degrees, but also a 20% chance of rain and maybe a little bit of wind. So we'll see what that looks like by Sunday because it's always subject to change. But either way, it looks like a good spot for the Chicago Bears. Uh, next game on the slate, the Los Angeles Chargers against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm pretty sure that Leonard Fournette is expected to be back this week, uh, which surprisingly, well, not surprisingly to us, him being out last week literally had zero effect on the point spread because running backs usually don't really matter as much as people think they do. So yeah. what is the spread for this game with Leonard Fournette back in action? Yeah, that's a really important point that I think most people will always fail to realize is that a really talented running back 
even one of the best running backs in football, has almost no impact on the actual outcome of the game. Uh, yeah, so they adjusted the point spread zero points for Fournette last week. Jaguars ended up winning by two touchdowns. It really zero point zero zero point zero. It really didn't manifest in any way on the spread or the way the game played out. The Jaguars ran the ball pretty well anyway. For this week, I, the line has moved against Jacksonville, so I think that that probably is independent of Fournette. It's just the Jaguars might be slightly overvalued, moving from four-point favorites down to three-and-a-half-point favorites. The total has dropped from 41-and-a-half to 41, uh, so a little bit of anti-Jaguars line movement for their offense. Uh, I guess the Chargers' defense maybe is a little underrated, but I think the hype has gotten maybe a little too heavy on Jacksonville as a team overall. And I think we should sort of lower our expectations for them going forward. Just I, they're, they're probably going to win their division. And I guess when a team is in the lead in their division, the talk starts that they're just one of the best teams in the NFL. This is probably just an average team playing in a shit division. Yeah. I think it's a good spot for the, for the Jaguars defense. They are the most expensive defense on the slate. But their defense is awesome. And then, the, I mean, Blake Bortles sucks. Obviously, I don't have much interest in the Chargers side of the game. So actually, let me see what uh, the Jaguars have been really bad against the run this year. But they traded for Marcel Darius from the Bills. So I expect their run defense to get better than what it's been. So even though it might appear Melvin Gordon at 7,200 as a pretty good matchup against the Jaguars, I'm not really buying it as a good matchup. And I like the Jaguars defense in this spot. If, if you have the salary to really pay up for one of the expensive defenses, I think I think this is the one to go with. I definitely agree on the Marcel Darius point. I, I It might just, uh, for me, end up having me off Melvin Gordon but not using the Jaguars' defense because there is another defense priced similarly that I like better, and now I have to check to make sure they're actually on the Sunday slate because made that mistake already, and we can't talk about games that don't count. But, yeah, the Detroit Lions are roughly the same don't, price. Don't spoil it. Okay, well, I'll say that defense I like more than the Jaguars for the same price. So I'll, I'll be off Jacksonville's defense, but I do think it's a decent spot for them. They're just a little too pricey, and I think it's a similar spot for the Bears' defense who are cheaper. So I probably won't use Jacksonville for that reason, even though it is kind of a solid value. And that's probably it for this game. There's really just not a lot to like on either side. Well, you ruin the rest of the podcast by talking about games out of order, because as we know... It's been one week since I talked about games out of order. So now we've got two weeks in a row. Detroit Lions defense. Everybody knows they're coming now. Ruin the surprise. <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings at the Washington Redskins is the next game. There are really a lot of whatever games, honestly. Like games I look at and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. Like it's, it's a game where it's like uh, both these teams are kind of decent, but I don't really have a lot of like DFS interest in them and then definitely don't have interest in watching them either. Uh, this is another one of those games, I feel like. Minnesota Vikings at Washington Redskins. What's the Vegas info for this game, Matt? And then I'm pretty sure this game's a fade for me. I'm just going to look at the pricing really quick. Yeah, we can probably skip over it. I don't think there's anyone usable. There's a good amount of sharp action on the under, which supports our fade analysis. The totals move from 43 down to 42, even with more people taking the over than the under. So the sharp money likes the under. I think it's... it's a bad spot really for the Vikings offense. I would consider the Redskins defense, but again, the bears are similarly priced or actually let me double check that because that was the first thing that jumped out to me about this game. Looking at the prices initially was how cheap the Redskins defense was. Um, yeah, they're actually only, where did they go? 
Yeah, it's twenty nine hundred. They're only a little bit cheaper than the Bears. So even though it I is a good value, yeah, it's a good value on the Redskins D, I think. But I like the Bears better. So another situation where not using one pick because there's just a better pick at a similar price. And that was really the only thing I was considering from this game at all. Let me just look at, there's so many injuries in the Redskins passing game. I'm just going to look up the Vikings defense. Uh, They've been pretty good. They're fourth against the run, 13th against the pass by DVOA. And I guess just something to keep an eye on because maybe they'll be like, maybe Doxson or Ryan Gray will make sense later in the week. Right now, Crowder, Reed, and Davis are all questionable to play. So I think that maybe there could be a cheap wide receiver who makes sense if all those guys end up being out. But outside of that, I'll just say it's a game to stay away from. I guess the reason for not using those guys anyway, even if there are a bunch of injuries, is that guys like Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys are kind of similarly priced and probably better anyway and have easier matchups. So even if there are a ton of Redskins passing game injuries, I think it's just huge downgrade to the offense and they have those offensive line injuries too. I just wouldn't expect much from them on Sunday. Fair point, sir. I'll agree with you on that. I prefer the, I prefer the cheap Buccaneers guys as well. So the next game on the slate, you like one of the defenses in here. I have a feeling it's the <laughs> Cleveland Browns at Detroit Lions. It's a great prediction by you. It's like I'm, I'm Nostradamus. So, the Lions, uh, they're going to have some ownership this week. They scored a lot of points last week. And they also have a really good matchup against the piss-poor Browns pass defense. So what is the spread for this game, Matt? The Lions are very big favorites. The line is 12.5, and, and the total is at 44. It's actually dropped a half point to 43.5. I think the biggest takeaway that I have from the line and the over-under is that the Browns will probably not do a lot offensively. So even though the Lions have a really and strong... defensively. <laughs> that too, but I think more offensively. I, I think that the Browns' suckiness for this game will be more on their offensive side than their defensive side. Because um, they haven't been that bad defensively overall. Miles Garrett is... I think he's still questionable. He's going through concussion protocol. So that could be a big boost to the Lions' offense overall if he doesn't play. Um, and then if Miles Garrett's out, I think we can just say onslaught stacks of the Lions are in play because they could end up winning this game by a ton of points with a lot of players doing well. Uh, one situation to monitor is Kenny Galladay, who I think is also still questionable. So I like this, the uh, Lions passing game a lot, but we don't have a great idea right now of which players to target specifically. Yeah, so Golden Tate and Marvin Jones are both getting a lot of targets recently. Tate's been getting a lot of targets anyway, and that's going to continue. But one of the reasons that Marvin Jones has been getting more targets recently is because Galladay's been out. Galladay hasn't played since week three, but it seemed, he's questionable. It seems like he has a chance to play. If he plays, that is going to take a couple, uh, I'll say, like, yeah, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like two or three targets away from Marvin Jones. So that would probably make Jones a little less viable. And I think that if Galladay plays, he's a pretty interesting play at only 4,400. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think if Galladay plays, I'm going to be off Marvin Jones at 6,200. That becomes a lot to pay for a guy who won't have a ton of target volume. Golden Tate is only a little more expensive than him, and his targets are much more reliable. So if Galladay is out, I think Tate and Jones are both worth using, and with Matt Stafford, too. But if Galladay plays, then I'll probably just go with Tate and him, because 4,400 is pretty cheap for someone who's very heavily involved in the offense. And we have to assume that 
or we don't have to assume it, but we have to make sure that he's not on any kind of snap count or a substantial one before we plug him in. But if Galladay's playing and unrestricted, I think he's a pretty strong play from the Lions, and he probably becomes my favorite player to use from that team. Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that he would make sense, and then uh, still you could go. Uh, so Stafford to Tate is still my favorite combination from the game. And then if Galladay's out, I still think the Stafford with Marvin Jones and Tate makes sense. We just kind of have to monitor the injuries there. And then the next game we have well, Hold here. on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop oh. you because there's one more part of this game that I think is worth mentioning. The, I'll go for it. Okay. The Lions running game, because of game flow, is probably going to be heavily involved. Amir Abdullah had two fumbles last week, and the second one was right at the end of the game. So there was no opportunity for him to get another carry anyway. But there are really cheap prices on the Lions running backs. Abdullah is 4500 and Theo Reddick is 4000 That's know step- from high school. Yeah, Theo Reddick, as mentioned in previous podcasts, I guarded him in basketball in high school, and he was uh, very good. Um, and he's really fast and strong and athletic, and that's why he's playing running back in the NFL. So maybe he makes it into my fantasy lineups as a result of that. But at the very least, I think you have to consider the Lions running game because game flow is going to so heavily favor them. I just I don't know which players are going to get the carries this week. And I'm actually not sure if there's been any public discussion of Abdullah losing snaps because of the fumble issues. And the Browns run defense has been good, but still, there are probably going to be a lot more carries for the Detroit offense this week than usual. So do you have interest in going towards the running game if we can figure out who's going to get the volume? No, not really. Even though I think there's a chance they run, neither Abdullah nor Riddick have been particularly effective this year, and the Browns do have a plus run defense. Oh yeah, that is something we talked about, I think it was yesterday or the day before, how inefficient Abdullah has been this year. He just kind of sucks as a running back, and I guess part of that is probably the Lions don't have a good run-blocking offensive line, but... I don't know. It, it, it's a decent correlation with the Lions' defense. They are correlated. I guess it may not make sense to use them anyway. All right. Next game, Houston Texans at the Los Angeles Rams. The Rams scored a ton of points last week. The Texans have been a team that we really like to pick on. Um, so what is the Vegas info for this game? Because I think the Rams figure to be favored by a lot of points. This This Texans team really sucks with all their injuries now. Yeah, this game is actually the reason that I'm not too worried about ownership with the Lions game, because that is going to be a pretty chalky spot, as you mentioned, but it won't be insane, because I do think that the Rams' ownership will be higher. So the line for the Rams is minus 11.5. That's actually up from minus 10. It's moved in St. Louis's favor with very heavy public support. 80% of the bets so far are on the Rams. The total, though, is dropped from 47 to 45.5. So I think... The bias here is very much against the Texans' offense, and I guess it's not really a bias because the Texans' offense is pretty bad now. Um, So I imagine that Todd Gurley and the Rams' defense will be incredibly popular, and I think the Rams' passing game will be pretty popular too after the awesome game that Jared Goff and basically the whole receiving core had against the Giants. I do think this is a good spot in general for the Rams' offense. Just the issue is that Goff has been priced up so much now. He is at... Let's see, what is his price? Goff is 6700 He's the fourth most expensive quarterback on the slate. He's not the, he's not the fourth, best running, fourth best quarterback on the slate, though. Like, if, if you were to say, let's see. So he's priced in between Stafford and Roethlisberger. I would expect both of those guys to have significantly more points than him on average for this week. 
So I just think that he's too expensive. And then also the game flow doesn't favor him. I think they're going to be up a lot of points and probably be looking to run the ball. I think that Gurley makes some sense at 8,700. The only issue I have with Gurley at 8,700 is I would prefer McCoy at 8,300 or just paying up for Le'Veon Bell at 9,800 if possible. But I don't think Gurley is a terrible play at 8,700 because game flow is in his favor. And the Rams have been willing to just run him the ball in the fourth quarter anyway. The last couple of series of the game, they gave the ball to Mike Brown. But even when they were up like only, I think it was 85 points that were up on, Giants, on the Giants at the time, they were still running the ball with Gurley in the red zone. So they're going to they're gonna give him a lot of carries kind of regardless of the situation. So I'm fine with Gurley at 8,700, especially for cash games. He's really safe this week. Yeah, I like Gurley for cash games, but I think it's a complete fade for me in GPPs because of his expected ownership. I, I'm guessing he's the highest owned player of anyone across the board this week. He was really good against the Giants. He gets a better matchup this week, or I guess an arguably better matchup, uh, but it's a game where the Rams are favored by more. Game flow should help him, but football is random, as we've mentioned, and the ball isn't round, so Todd Gurley also could have a bad game, just like Le'Veon Bell might not have a good game. And I guess there are a ton of reasons why Gurley might not play well. And I do agree with you that McCoy and Bell are just better plays than him. So even though Gurley is probably the third best expensive running back to use, he'll be much higher owned than the other guys. And for that reason, mostly, I'll be off him in tournaments. But as a cash game play, he's definitely pretty safe. Yeah, I think I think there's probably a good chance that I'm up in a couple of my lineups. Uh, I guess once we start building, we'll kind of have to see what it shakes up, but I, I do think I just prefer Le'Veon Bell and LaShawn McCoy. I'm just not sure if it's going to be feasible to have like McCoy-Bell lineups, and maybe it will be feasible to have uh, McCoy and Gurley lineups, so we'll see how that comes once we start building lineups. So a few games left, or two games left here. Next game, we have the Cowboys at the Falcons, and this one's going to be really tough because the Ezekiel Elliott situation is so difficult to figure out. He he's suspended. He's not suspended. He is and then he and, and it, it changes like eight times by the time that the game start on Sunday. So we don't know whether he's playing. If he's not, Alfred Morris is probably going to be the starter. And then the Cowboys uh, receiving core: Des Bryant and Terrence Williams were both questionable. It looks like Terrence Williams has been downgraded to doubtful, and Des Bryant's been upgraded to probable. So that probably means more volume going to Des Bryant, uh, but. This is a pretty interesting offensive spot. So, Matt, what's the Vegas info? The Falcons are actually three-point favorites, which I think surprises most people. And looking at the betting split, it definitely surprises a lot of people. 80% of the spread bets are on the Cowboys. 86% of the money line bets are on the Cowboys. The total is at 50.5. So you could actually make the case, just based on the Vegas information, that the Falcons' offense has the highest expected output of any team this week. And I think they'll be much lower owned than, well, especially the Lions and Rams, but maybe even a few other teams. So this is a pretty interesting contrarian spot. I won't say that there's a ton of value in their prices, but I do think there's a ton of value in their ownership. So if it works to build lineups around Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, I think it makes sense because no one else will really be doing it. But it's not really a value just in terms of points per dollar. Yeah, I think this is a good stack, especially if, if uh, Ezekiel isn't going to play, the Cowboys figure to be passing more, which then just means more plays in the game because the clock stops after incomplete passes and not after runs. So I do think it makes a lot of sense for 
stacks that include Dak Prescott, Des Bryant, um, and then Julio Jones, Matt Ryan. And then, uh, let's see, what's the price on Cole Beasley? So Beasley's all the way at 4000 I think that he's also a pretty sensible cheap. There's a lot of pretty decent cheap wide receiver plays. If Terrence Williams is not going to play, then I think Cole Beasley at 4000 he figures to get more passes thrown his way. So there's some value in that price tag. Yeah, I like Beasley too. And I guess I'll reiterate, I like Matt Ryan a lot more than Dak Prescott. Um, the defenses are of similar quality, but the Falcons are at home. Maybe game flow ends up affecting helping Prescott more, but... I think the, the Falcons' passing game is probably just better than the Cowboys' passing game. It hasn't played that way, but I think that it probably is. Julio Jones is arguably the best receiver in the NFL. He's close to it at the very least. So I think after a few duds from him recently and from Matt Ryan, you'll also get the Falcons at lower ownership than you'll get the Cowboys. Yeah, I think actually I think that people want to use this spot. Um, I, I, like the Cowboys. I like the Cowboys for this game too, though. Um, the Falcons' defense is 29th in DVOA this year, 24th against the pass, 29th against the run. So I, I think that this is still a, a good spot for the Cowboys' offense. This is not a good Falcons' defense. And then plus, it's it's an indoor, it's a dome game, so that's more reasonable like the offenses. Well, I definitely won't disagree that it's a good full-game stack spot. Uh, it becomes a little bit of an expensive game, but maybe not if you're using Cole Beasley at receiver. That helps save some salary. Uh, so I guess the bottom line for me is that I prefer the Falcons to the Cowboys, but I have no no issue with using both teams together in a full game stack. All right, last game on the slate. One with a little bit of sneaky offense value because these teams are so horribly shitty. Nobody cares about this game outside of my dad, who I think still thinks the Giants well, are going to make the playoffs this year. I think uh, everyone playing. will like it a lot after – everyone will be excited about it after we're done talking about it, right? Well, Giants at the 49ers. One thing is the the 49ers play at an extremely fast pace, so they have a bad defense. And then just because of the pace they play at, it's kind of like almost like the Nets in uh, NBA, where they're a bad defense and their offense is playing so fast that it just leads to there their being more possessions in the game, more plays being run. So that creates more just fantasy upside. So what is the Vegas vote for this game? There's actually quite a bit of sharp action on the Giants, which is really, I guess it's not uncommon, but it's a little surprising considering how bad they were this past week. So the Giants opened as one-point favorites, and then they actually moved the line to 49ers minus two briefly when it seemed like Jimmy Garoppolo might be starting. I think that was most of the reason that this line movement happened. I think it was early Monday morning. But then the line shifted back with Beathard announced as the starter. The Giants are now actually almost three-point favorites. The total for the game is at 42. It hasn't moved, but most of the public is on the under. I do think there's definitely a bias towards thinking the games will be lower scoring just because the teams are bad. But like you said, the Niners play fast. They are very bad on defense. The Giants' passing game should be a little better going forward with Sterling Shepard back. Giants' defense also not particularly good. So this could definitely turn into a shootout. I don't think that we'll go as far as predicting 50-plus points in the game, but it's more likely than most people are giving it credit for, and all of the players from both sides are incredibly cheap. So it's, it's going to be very easy to make stacks out of this game. Yeah, so from the Giants' side, Eli Manning is definitely in play. He's maybe my favorite quarterback play of the week, as ridiculous as it sounds, just because the 49ers' defense is so bad. 
And then he is he is Sterling Shepard back now. Obviously, Evan Ingram's been really good. Ingram's really expensive at 6,200, but I still think he's a solid play. Um, let's see. How many... He scored a touchdown quite a few weeks in a row now. Every week of the season, I think, right? No, he's uh, three weeks in a row he scored a touchdown. But the targets have just been ridiculous. So uh, 5, 7, 7, 11, 4, 7, 12, 10 targets for Ingram. So there's a pretty high floor to him. And then with Shepard back too, I think he's in play. And then all this just helps Eli. And then from the 49er side of the game, uh, Pierre Garçon is now out for the season. So who that really benefits is surprisingly actually Carlos Hyde. Uh, the other thing also is that uh, George Kittle is questionable to play. He, he left last week's game with an injury, and he hasn't been practicing this week, so it seems more like he's trending towards not playing. Carlos Hyde last week had nine catches for 84 yards on 11 targets. The week before that, nine targets, eight targets. So he's not really running the ball a ton, only 12 rush attempts, 12 rush attempts, 14, 13. But all of the receivers are hurt. So now that Garcon's out, it looks like Kittle isn't going to play. They need to throw the ball to somebody. And it's just been Carlos Hyde a lot recently. So we could see Hyde get uh, six to ten catches in this game. And then when you combine that with him getting maybe upwards of ten carries or so, that's a lot of touches. And then obviously the, the PPR bonus on DraftKings makes that a little bit more valuable. I, I really like Carlos Hyde at 6,300. He's one of my favorite running back plays on the slate. Yeah, I like Hyde for sure, too. Marquise Goodwin and Aldrick Robinson are cheap also. Um, so if you're going with the full game stack, I think, using Hyde and then one of the Niners receivers probably makes sense. And then also, if you're not going with Evan Ingram for game stacks here, which I think you probably should still do, at 6,200, he is still probably a little bit too cheap. Maybe not in general, but definitely for this matchup. Um but if you're not using Ingram, Garrett Selleck is expected to start at tight end for the 49ers if Kittle doesn't play, which I do think he's probably more likely not to play also. So then Garrett Selleck at 2500 becomes the starter. That's an insanely cheap price for a starting tight end. And with an offense that plays fast, there's a lot of potential plays. Just They have a, they have a high volume of total plays offensively every game. And Beathard doesn't exactly throw a lot of deep passes. He's not that good of a quarterback. So checking down to his tight end probably is more a part of the game plan than it would have been. And Selleck just that's just really cheap price. It's really easy to hit value there. And there could be a decent amount of upside, too, if the game turns into a shootout, which I guess we're hoping it will. Um, so it's going to be tough figuring out how to use Ingram and Selleck because they both are pretty good values for their price. It's just, it's a lot different of a lineup build when you're using one versus the other. My microphone is lighting up like the Terminator's eyes right now. It's got this weird red light coming out of it, and well, it's, I think it's going to attack me. It sounds is this fine. how the movie started? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, well, I guess that's going to finish the podcast then. Uh, I, think this is a, I think this is a pretty solid week. Hopefully we don't have anything crazy happening like last week where... Ezekiel Elliott totally flipped over the slate. Um, but hopefully we get the news beforehand on him so we could kind of be prepared for that. And then no other crazy injuries. And I think this is a good one. A lot of, a lot of uh, reasonable plays at good prices, some good value. So you can follow me on Twitter, GRMBRDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense. And we'll be back with basketball tomorrow.